We continue this morning in our study in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we've been in it for a while, and as you know, we're going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line. And we learn through that because we address so many topics that we wouldn't have addressed. You see, that's one thing if you preach through the Bible verse by verse, you have to preach everything. The full counsel. This is what Paul was saying. The full. You need to preach everything. You can't sidestep a few topics just because you think, uh, I think the people's going to be mad when I preach about that. Uh, and you can't do that. You have to talk about everything. And as we know in the Gospel of Mark, this man, he was writing about Jesus Christ, the servant king. That's what we learn out of the Gospel of Mark. He came to serve us. How? By dying on the cross for each one of us. He's the servant, and this is what we learn out of this. Mark writes a fast-paced gospel. He uses the word immediately so many times. You can go in there and count them. He says, this happened, then immediately this happened, and immediately that happened. It makes me think of a young man, isn't it? Full of life and just want to see action. And this is what Mark does. So he tells us who Jesus is. He's the servant king who came to serve us. But not serve in the way that the normal servant would serve. He would give his life for us. He came to preach the gospel. He came to preach about the kingdom to come. And he was that. In him is life and life eternal. And not only that, he came to tell us who Jesus is and why he came. Never forget that. And over the, the weeks that we came together, we preached about it, we learned about that. So this morning, we've moved on. Last week we saw that he picked his 12 disciples who became apostles. An apostle is somebody who is sent with a mission. And you and I know that I absolutely believe the Bible says that it's only Jesus who can appoint apostles. You've got so many people today out there who are self-appointed apostles. That means nothing. Only Jesus appoints them. You had to see Jesus, you had to see Him at the cross, and none of these people today have that. And here He picked them, He selected them. And you remember last week the message that we preached, and the, the message was, are you available? Are you available for 2020? If you've missed that, please go and listen to it online. This morning, I want to talk to you about this topic here. And that is the unpardonable sin. The sin that cannot be forgiven. Have you heard about this one before? Oh, so many people talk about this one. So many teachings about this one. And I must say, some people want to make it so difficult to understand. And if you move away from the Word of God, it becomes difficult. But if you just stay with the Word of God, it makes sense. And there are people out there in the world and they say, Oh, you better watch out. You better look out because otherwise you're going to do the sin and you will not be forgiven. And poor you, you can come to church, you can do whatever you do, you're done with. Because you've done the unpardonable sin. The sin that cannot be forgiven. We find this in three passages. We find it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31. And then we also find that Luke writes about the same situation that happened. We're going to touch on Matthew, 
but more so we're going to go just on with our narrative. We're going to keep on reading in our narrative in Mark chapter 3, verse 28. So let's open up there and read. It says in Mark chapter 3, 22, he says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons he cast out demons. This is what they do. It's an accusation. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables. Now a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly message. He says to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? Think. Question mark. Are you listening what you're saying to me? Now I'm asking you back, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. It's a very good argument, would you say? He will have an end. Verse 27 says, No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Now Jesus uses this word then. Verily, assuredly, verily, I say unto you, all sins will be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies where with whoever they shall blaspheme. But, sharp contrast, he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost has never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. The Lord bless the public reading of his word. Let's thank him for that. Father, if I do not have these words that I've just read, just read out of your word, I would be wasting these people's time. So I thank you, Lord, for your word. It is living, it is powerful, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, and it is the discerner of the heart. And the Bible also says in Isaiah, it will not go out and return back void, but it will accomplish everything that it's been purposed for. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So a very compelling argument, isn't it? Very compelling. Talking about the sin that cannot be forgiven. If we look at the narrative in uh, Matthew chapter 12, we find that they brought to Jesus a demon-possessed man. He was blind and he was mute. Now because I said to you that Mark is a type of person who's an action man, he didn't write to us about this demon-possessed man. But Matthew and Luke did. So this is what's preceding what Mark is writing down for, for us from verse 22. They brought this man to Jesus. And Jesus heals this man. He cast out a demon. The man can speak and he can see. Whoa, it's fantastic. And one would have think. One would have think everybody would have been joyful. Would have been glad. One would have think that these scribes and the Pharisees and everybody who's there would have been glad for that man's sake. Would you be? Would you be? 
Here is this man in society. We all know he's got a demon possession. We all know that he's blind, he's mute, he's got to be led somewhere, he can't speak. What a poor state. And here comes Jesus, and he heals him. He doesn't have to be led around anymore. He's free. One would have think people rejoice for that. But no, oh no. They are those with an agenda against Jesus Christ. So this is preceding that. In Matthew chapter 12 verse 23, I find this fascinating because the crowd see what's happening now. And it says, and all the multitudes were amazed. It's a draw-dropping experience. <gasps> wow, what happened here in front of us? A miracle. And they asked the question out loud. They say, could this be the son of David? Now, you've got to ask yourself the question if you read the Bible, what do they mean by that? What is the expectancy that was inside of them for them to cry out, son of David? Because they knew in their scriptures were written that the son of David will come and what will he do? He will sit on the king chair of King David. He will be the king of the nation. Not only that, he will be the Messiah. That is what the prophecies say. And, if he, and we know he is. We know he is. Now we know. But again, like I've said so many times before, put yourself back in their day. Would you have been pulled up by the mob, by the crowd and, and, and be going into a frenzy what the leaders of the day say, or would you have recognized him as Jesus Christ the Messiah? It's easy for us to sit in the New Testament. It's easy because we've got the Bible and we read the Bible and we study it. They didn't have that. All they had is this man who came from Nazareth and here he's now healing people. Is this the son of David? Now who's hearing that? The scribes is hearing that, isn't it? The scribes is there. Now look at this now. These scribes came down from where? From Jerusalem. Oh, these were very important scribes. They were not just your average local scribes which they had around the place. Now a scribe is somebody who learned the Mosaic law. The law that was given to Moses, and not only the law, all of the ordinances, and not only all of the ordinances, the way to worship God. All of these things you find in Deuteronomy, you find it in Numbers, you find it all there where Moses gives them all of these ordinances. Scribes were like a lawyer. They studied it. They read it. They, they, they went through that. They discussed it. And one would say, they are the very clever people. Now each little town and settlement would have a scribe. But no, these scribes, they came from Jerusalem. Very important people. If you read in the account of Matthew, it uses the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees and the scribes were part of the Sanhedrin. It was like a political party who sat down and they made decisions on behalf of the Jews. They were all part of that. You see, these scribes, they learned the sacred writings and interpreted it. And they were the teachers of their day. And they examined some of the more difficult questions of the law. If they walk into the place, you go, oh, these people know, I, you know, I'm not where they are. So these were the people who questioned. Now, they come down. 
after they hear these words, that he's the son of David, what do they do? They say, no, no, he has Beelzebub. He's got Beelzebub. Now, who's Beelzebub? You need to study in your Bible again. Beelzebub is two words put together. It's Baal. Baal is the god of the Old Testament. The god of Molech as well, where they came and they offered little children. And by the way, uh, abortion these days is still offering up to Baal, the god of Molech. Nothing has changed. It's amazing how churches accept and some people accept abortion now. You know, it's a right to choose. No, there's no right. If you do abortion, you're offering up to Molech, your child. It still happens today. Just not as gruesome, maybe, as in those days where they got the people together and throw the children into the fire. But this is Beelzebub. Baalzebul, it means the Lord of dung or the Lord of flies. They come to Jesus and they say to the crowds, no, 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 this is not the son of David. No, he has got a demon inside of him. He is doing that out of Beelzebub. And, and, and they say, he, by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. He cast them out. Um... So what did Jesus say? He turned to them and he says, he called them to himself. And in effect, he says to them, a leader operating against himself is a disaster. That's what he's saying. He says it won't work in these words. He said, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom divides against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. But he will have an end. And, and this is just, you know, I don't have to unpack it. That is so clear. He tells them, he says, how is it possible if you say that I've got Beelzebub in me, that I am actually casting out demons, which is part of Beelzebub? Why, why would you do that? Why would Satan cast out Satan? It doesn't make sense. But he was more interested in going to the next step. So, in Mark chapter 3, 27, it says, No one can bind a strong man's house until he plunder his goods, unless he first binds a strong man and he will plunder his house. And let me just say, brothers and sisters, this is one of the most misused scriptures today in our life. The people who do spiritual warfare, they love the scripture. Because they go around and they say, oh, you know what? We need to bind Satan. And we need to bind the demons. And we need to bind this. And they use this scripture verse. They say the strong man. And they will come and map out the whole area. And they will go there in Karam Downs. There might be a demon. If you go into the spiritual realm and the demon is in charge of Karam Downs, we need to bind that demon. And they say, they use the scripture verse. They say, no one can enter if they don't bind the strong man. And I want to, say, I want to tell you today that that is misusing the word of God. That's not what this is intent. If you put this in context, Jesus is not pointing towards that. Remember, they say that he's got Beelzebub. He tells them, no, I do not have Beelzebub because it doesn't make sense. And then he says these words. Why would he say these words? Because it has got a messianic message in it. Going back to Isaiah. Back in Isaiah, when he was restoring and recovering the nation, he says these words. 
In Isaiah 49, 23, he says, Kings shall be your foster fathers, and queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground, they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those, and this is a good message for every one of us, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Oh, but we don't want to do that, do we? If we, want to, if we come to God and something is wrong in our life, what do we do? We want to see action, Lord. You know, we want to go to McDonald's. God is not McDonald's. He's not Hungry Jacks. He's not saying put in your order here and get your, just drive around the corner. Sometimes you wait and the Lord says, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. And now he says in verse 24, he says, can they pray? The prey be taken from the mighty or the captives from the tyrant be rescued? It's a question. And remember what he says, a strong man, you can't plunder his goods if you don't bind the strong man. It's the same principle here. Can the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives in time and be rescued? For thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken. Why? Because the Lord came down and He, he, he captivated the, the strong man. He had victory at the cross. He says, for I will contend with those who contend with you, and I shall save your children. I will make your oppressors eat your own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So, you cannot use the Scripture verse to say that we're going to bind Satan now not to have interference in your service. I've heard it so many times. I've heard it so many times. People prayed, maybe ignorantly. Father, we're going to drive now from here to Adelaide and I bind every demon who wants to come and cause us any trouble among the way. I bind them. I bind the strong man. Where is that coming from? It's not biblical. No, what does the Bible teach us when it comes to Satan? He says, flee or, or resist him and he will flee from you. He doesn't say binding. He doesn't say bind these agents. He doesn't say bind the demons. He says, resist him and he shall flee from you. So I just wanted to correct that concept. The Bible don't teach that. This passage is where it is, where Jesus talks about a, a you know, man divided against himself will fall. Now let's continue on. In Mark chapter 3, 28, he says, Then verily, verily I say to you, all sins will be, be forgiven for sons of men. Whatever blasphemies they utter, but he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Never has forgiveness. But is subject to eternal condemnation because they said he has an unclean spirit. Now, this is where we find the unpardonable sin. He says that is what's going to happen. Uh, we had a Bible study once in New Zealand, and I went to this Bible study, and there was a man there, came to the Bible study. By the third time he came to the Bible study, he talked to me, and I was just teaching the Word of God, and the freedom of Christ, and the liberty of the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God that breaks chains. And this man, I spoke to him after the Bible study, we had a tea and a coffee, and he came to me and he said to me, you know what, I come to these Bible studies, I just bring my wife, but I'm lost. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean you're lost? He says, well, you know what, when I was younger, 
I was going out one day and I had my fist up into heaven and I said, God, God, I curse you. And, and you know what? I've done the unpardonable sin. I said, oh, that's it's interesting. Wow. He says, and from there on, he had a few pastors and people who said, oh, no, that's right. You've cursed God and you're done. So he says, all I'm doing is I'm just getting in the car. I'm coming to the Bible studies and I shut off. I just bring my wife and my children so that they come and, and you know, they might go to heaven, but I'm lost. And I said to him, no, that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. He said, did you know God when you did that? He said, what do you mean? I said, were you saved? No. I said, so which God were you talking about? You don't know that God, do you? I said, if you know that God, you wouldn't have done it because you would have feared Him. Started giving Him the gospel. And you know what? After a few weeks, He gave, he, he submitted to God, repented of His sin, and the Lord saved His soul. You see, we are so misguided what people teach us. There are so many people who want to teach you this and say, oh, you better watch out because if you're going to do that sin and it's done, it's ikabod, it's kaput, you're done. You might as well forgive up. Do whatever you want to do. And people go for that. My question is always this, who's going to check on you? Who's going to check on you whether you do that sin? That is the unforgivable sin. And there's people who's trying to connect people to themselves to get control over people who would love for you to do that. What if you walk into this place and I say, oh, I am the ultimate one. I am the pastor of this church and I'm going to look into your life and you can't do anything if you don't get my approval for it. There's people who do that. That's people control and I will never do that. The unpardonable sin. The misconceptions is, you know, I've used the Lord's name in vain. That's the unpardonable sin. Or I showed my fist to heaven like that man. Or I stopped going to church. And by the way, that man and his family is still serving God. I stopped going to church. Oh, I'm, I'm damned now. And other people in the church, when they see me, they look at me and I feel so guilty because there's no place for me even there. And you know what? Some people use this. The people who teach this and say, oh, you better watch out. They also use this scripture verse. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 4. They say, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened. Ah, there you go. It's impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to shame. You see the people say, yeah, Jesus said it right there. He says, if you blaspheme against the Holy Spirit, it's the unpardonable sin. And here in Hebrews, it confirms it. Two scriptures, watch out. How terrible would it be to live a Christian life like that? If you live like that, then how do you know what you're going to do next week? What sin are you going to do? Or do you believe in sinless? Christians are sinless. No. Paul says, O wretched man that I am, present tense, who will save me from this body of sin? Yes, we are saved, but we are still living in a sinful world. We will be glorified when He comes, or when we die, <clears throat> so that we can't have your own, own still anymore. Yes, we have to live holy lives, I, I understand, and we, we strive to live holy lives, and we learn from Him day by day. 
but brother and sister, you don't know what you're going to do a month from now. And I've worked, I've, I've seen people, it's been 25 years preaching this gospel, and people came to me and they say, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. I say, why? Say, oh, I don't know if tomorrow I'm going to sin. I don't know if tomorrow I'm going to say a swear word and then I'm lost. God doesn't operate like that. That is operating in fear. So they use this. But there's a misconception if they use this. This is not teaching about losing salvation. Look, to renew them again to what? To repentance. To repentance. What is repentance? It is a change of mind. And this I've always also seen. If somebody has come to God and they repented to God their sins and they fall away, they go back into those old ways, what happens? Their hearts become so hardened they don't go back there anymore. That happens. That happens. So you can't tie this scripture verse to the previous scripture verse and say, ah, that is part of the unpardonable sin. So, the question is, can this sin be committed today? A good question, isn't it? The sin that cannot be forgiven, can it be committed today? Let me answer it for you. How does it work? This must be understood in its pre-Pentecostal historical setting. What? What am I talking about? This scripture verse here. It must be understood in its pre-Pentecostal setting. Pre-the cross. It, is, it must be used in context to the truth of God being rejected or Jesus. Now I want to put it to you this way. If we go on our timeline, and this is the middle point, the cross of Christ... And we have the law. Now that was from Moses when he received the law and he had the ordinances and everything. It went all the way until Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus Christ came, that is the dispensation that he started talking to people. And for three and a half years, he had the ministry on the earth in this period here. Now I want to give you another concept here as well. Because this before the cross is all Old Testament. And these Gospels here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is all part of the Old Testament. You say, well, wait a minute. It doesn't make sense because in my Bible, it's under the New Testament. Yes, I understand it's under the New Testament. But the fact of the matter is they were still talking about the Old Testament. If you think about Jesus coming, did they eat the last meal? Did they still offer animals? Yes, they did. It wasn't as if when Jesus came out when he was baptized, all of the temple worship stopped. It was all still in the Old Testament. I know that they wrote all of their Gospels after the cross by remembrance of the Holy Spirit, but everything that they write about works towards the cross. Jesus Christ was still with them. It is before the cross. So, in fact, the New Testament only started after the cross. So all the books in your Bible written after the cross is New Testament scriptures, and it refers back to the cross. This year still goes towards the cross. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said to them, I'm going to go away, but fear not, I'm coming back again. Where was he when he said that? He was with them. They were still under the Old Testament. They were still under the Old Testament law. Even when he sat down with him, our communion table, he said, 
this is my body and blood for you. But he, he hadn't died yet. This is my blood, the new covenant. But the new covenant wasn't in, in effect yet. When did that covenant come into effect? When did it come into effect? At the cross. Because the Bible says, in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 6, For where there is a testament, the Old Testament, the covenant, where there is a testament, there must also, if necessity be, the death of the testator. So that means that when Jesus died, that was done with. And it came now under the New Testament, the New Covenant. We're all clear on that? We need to understand this to understand the unforgivable sin. If you don't understand this, you will still dabble around under the sin whether you can do it or not. So what does that mean? It means, now look at this now. In your Bible, it's really interesting. I go back to the King James. In the King James Bible, you see this little dot here? It's a double colon. What does it mean? In the New King James Version, it's got just a, a, a one there with a comma. And in the NIV, there's a full stop there. I go back to the King, New King, uh, the King James Version. Why? Because if you've got it like that, it means that this phrase here is part of the previous thought. This is important to know. Because he didn't put them separately. When he spoke to them and he said, Verily I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies that they utter, but he who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has been forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. It just didn't stop there. He says, because part of that, he has an unclean spirit. They said to whom? They said to Jesus, in his face, you have an unclean spirit. In his face. This is what happened. This is how that sin is conducted. In his face, they said, you have Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons, you cast out demons. And Jesus turned to them and says, you've committed the unforgivable sin. Why? Because they had two parts of the Godhead with them. They had Jesus in physical and they had the Holy Spirit there. Jesus did it through the power of the Holy Spirit to heal that demon-possessed man. And they say, you did it through Beelzebub in his face. And he says, you've just committed that sin that cannot be forgiven. The question to you and me is, as we sit here today, can we still do that sin? And the answer is no, we cannot. Let me explain. Because after the cross, what happened? Jesus was risen from the grave. Who believes in that? And then what happened? He ascended on high. Where is Jesus now? He's in heaven. He's not physically here with us anymore. I know the Bible says where two or three gathers in His name, there is present. But He's not physically here. We can't touch Him like they used to. So He's in heaven now. And the church age is where we are now. So we cannot in Jesus' face go to Him and say to Him, you've got the spirit of Beelzebub with you. We can't do that. But He's going to come back and meet us in the air, which is the rapture. The rapture will take place at the end of the church age. The church will be in heaven, and then in Revelation chapter 19, He will come back again. There will be a seven years of tribulation, and then the millennium will start, which is a thousand year, and He will sit on the, uh, on the earth as the king. 
Now, look, look at this verse. We go back now to Matthew, the same parallel passage. It says, Therefore I say to you, every sin is blasphemy, will be forgiven men. Same that Mark said. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks the words against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, if it's combined, it will not be forgiven him. Either this age or the age to come. What is Matthew saying? He said, look, when Jesus was here, you said to him, face in his face, you've got the spirit of Beelzebub. That sin will you not be forgiven. You've got the knowledge, you've got him with you. Which ages is he talking about? This is the age. Either this age when Jesus is with you and the age to come, the millennial. So those are the times when this can be done. Where are we living? We're living in the church age. So brother and sister, can you commit the sin, the unpardonable sin? The answer is no. We cannot commit that sin today. We cannot commit it. You had to say it to Jesus in his face. They said to him, he have, he's got an unclean spirit. Now, here is another proof of that. He says, when he started, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. Even that man who told me, he said, I had my fist to heaven. You know what, brother and sister? He's forgiven. He did it in ignorance. You, you've got to go back again to the book of Deuteronomy. There's a scripture verse there. It says the, the, the sins which you, which you didn't even know you commit will be forgiven. And then he says, the sons of men and whoever blasphemies. You see, you've got to see this in the light of intentional and unintentional sin. And Jesus' own family, think of that. They rejected him. You remember? They rejected him. Does it mean that they've now committed the unpardonable sin? No. But the scribe rejected him by saying, he's got Beelzebub. In his face, you've got Beelzebub. That is a sin which is not forgiven. And then in verse 28, he talks about this forgiveness. Now, before we end, and if somebody can call my beautiful wife, there is something, a seriousness that I need to discuss with you this morning. Now, this is not the unpardonable sin that I'm showing you. But there is a sin. There is a, a line. You see, there's another thing that I want to mention to you, which when I grew up in a church, when I got saved, the people were talking about the deadline, the line of death, and they, they bind it towards this. And there's, there's a bit of Afrikaans word. They say there's a line in the sand, and if you step over it, that's it. That's the unpardonable sin. You can't stay back. But brother and sister, I want to, I want to tell you today, while we're in the church age, these, the dispensation of grace, there's always grace for you while you've got breath on your lips. There's always. You see, our life works like this. We are born. We, we all remember these happy days, isn't it? Those were the happy days. Why do you call it happy days? Because mom and dad fed me, they cleaned me. I've got a dirty diaper. I don't care. Mom and dad will sort it out. They carry me around. I don't even have to walk on my own legs. Then I learn how my legs works, and I see it all in little Michael now. He learned how the legs works. And it's all funny now because every time he walks around, everybody goes, Wow, that's great! And, you know, it's all fun. You know, now I want to do it because I want to see how my parents react. But soon I'm going to walk and then they're going to make a donkey out of me because he's now extra legs that can carry stuff. Hey, buddy, you better pick that up and help mama, okay? So that's why I say these are, these are the nice days, okay? 
And then we all get into these along this journey while we study and while we do our work and earn money, we become older and we go, it's from the cradle to the grave. That's a good reminder, isn't it? From the cradle to the grave. It's interesting when you see it like this on one board. At what stage are you? I, I, I'm starting to feel I'm going around about there. <laughs> Round about there now. I'm just waiting for that stage now. You know, what's going on here? And all along that way, God's, God's there in the world that we live in, the dispensation of grace. He looks over us all along the way. He knows about all your needs and your wants there. He knows about it here. He knows when you were just so at that stage. I just got to make it. 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 By the time you get here, you go, you know, why did I raise so much to make it there? You know, we can go on with this the whole day. But all along this way, God is there. And he says, look, change your mind about your sin. And you've got an opportunity from there. Well, I would say round about here, when you start getting to the to the age of understanding, run about there. He, he, all the way he says, repent, 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 repent. He's doing it by some of your Christian friends. He's doing it by maybe a song that you hear in the Holy Spirit. He's doing it maybe by somebody sitting down and talk to you about Jesus Christ, but you reject it. You reject it as you do because you're chasing money or because you're chasing an education. It might be just something happened. You know, while you're at this stage, a loved one in your life pass away and there's just a stop of reality. It might be a scare. You know, once you come to this age, you know, you go see the doctor and the doctor says, we've run blood tests and you know, there's a scare for you. I, I don't think you're going to live any much longer. It might be anywhere along this way the Holy Spirit comes to you and he says repent 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 come to Jesus Christ change your mind about your life your sin and then you come all the way to your deathbed and brother and sister let me tell you this is how the grace of God works for all men for all sin that along this pathway until then you've got an opportunity to cry out to God you've got an opportunity to say Lord please save me a sinner You've got that opportunity. But as he says all of this way, repent, 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 there's also the enemy who says, don't, don't, don't. Who are you to tell me? Who are you to tell me when I'm young to call upon God and change my life? Who do you think you are to say these things to me? I'm a man of, look at me, look at me. I'm a man of my own life. I'm the captain of my ship. Let me say to you something and I'm going to pray and I want you to ponder about this. If you do not call upon God in this lifetime and it comes to the point of death, that is the deadline. That is the final line. The day that you blow out your final breath is the deadline. That is the day. There's no, look, let me tell you, there's not purgatory when you go in and then when you've done enough of this, God will forgive you. Let me say it just today, a serious warning to us. If you sit here today and you think there is no hell, there's a massive surprise waiting for you. A massive one. I know there's teachings out in the world right now where they say, I had an uncle, I had an uncle. You know, when the Lord saved my soul out of the church we were in, 
They still got priests and everything in the New Apostolic Church, and you've got to go, and the priest forgive you your sins. And my uncle one day got in a quarrel with me, and he said to me, he said, hell is only. He said, oh, I found something. Somebody told me something. Wow, it's so great. You need to hear this. I go, whoa, yeah, I better hear this. What's going on? He says, oh, we will only go to hell for a short time, and then we will go into heaven. I didn't know the scriptures well, but, but I knew he wasn't right. The Bible says there is a hell, a pit of fire. The lake of fire is there. And brother and sister, this is why I want to become serious. Forget about the unpardonable sin. I just showed you you cannot conduct that. But forget about that. What is your life all about? Have you come to the cross? Have you come to the point where you cry out to God and say, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. If you haven't, don't look at this line. I know in my life, I was studying once in Pots of Sturm in South Africa, and there was a young man there, and these people, his parents were going to church, the Dutch Reformed Church, but I could see him. They didn't see me how I saw him, partying away, living life as if tomorrow is always going to be there. And you know what happened? One night, four of them got in a car at that age. Accident, all four of them died. All four of them. His breath was blown out at that stage. I cannot stand here today and say to you that he called upon Jesus Christ for repentance because his life didn't show it. I know about a man around about this age. The morning I spoke to him, the night his wife called me and said he had a heart attack or was standing next to his body. I know that man called upon the Lord because I was there when he did. Two cases. Forget about the unpardonable sin. No, no, don't forget about it. Read about it. Know about it. Today you know now. I've given you the teaching. And if somebody comes to you and tries to, you know, you know, have a discussion or quarrel about it, say, ah, you born again. More for me matters whether you called upon him and he saved your soul. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you, Father, that you gave us this insight in the Word. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have this dispensation of grace given to us that we did not deserve. You gave us mercy as well. We deserve death and you gave us life.